0: My friend. Thank you for joining me today. My name is Les. I'm your host here at Balanced Black Girl, and I started Balanced Black Girl four years ago to create a dedicated space for us to be students of well-being and personal development in a safe and inviting space, and I'm happy you're here. So on Balanced Black Girl, I produce episodes in series where we will cover a central topic or theme for a few weeks, and our current theme is money abundance and financial wellness. Now we've covered everything from being mindful of how we spend our time to budgeting, paying off debt, investing, crypto, financial independence and relationships and more. So if you haven't listened to the other episodes in the series, make sure you do so because each of them has gems of information that are really designed to be actionable and approachable so that we can all be as well resourced as possible. But today, we're talking about how most of us get money in the first place, and that is through working. Most of us work to earn our primary income, and how much money we make from our work has a direct impact on our personal bottom line. So today we're talking about making career moves that lead to money moves with Mandy Woodruff Santos. Mandy is an inclusive wealth building advocate, career coach, and co-host of the popular award-winning podcast Brown Ambition, which she hosts with Tiffany the Budget Nista Alicia. I have to say, Brown Ambition is actually one of my favorite podcasts and sources of financial education. I've loved it for years. If you like Balanced Black Girl, you will love Brown Ambition. So make sure you. Subscribe. Subscribe to their show. And Mandy is also a regular contributor to Yahoo Finance Live. And her personal finance and career advice has also been featured on The Dr. Phil Show, The New York Times, Business Insider, Essence, Teen Vogue, and more. Mandy knows her. Stuff She has 10x her own income and net worth through quitting, which we talk about why quitting can be one of the most powerful things you can do to increase your earnings. But she doesn't just have this knowledge. She loves to share it. That's why she's an incredible coach. That's why she's an incredible facilitator in the financial education space. I was so inspired talking to Mandy and hearing more about her story and hearing more about her advice, and I'm really excited to get to share it with you as well. So let's get into our conversation with Mandy. First, I want to hear about what you learned from pulling your birth chart.
1: Oh, yeah. So what did I learn? Well, here's a funny thing. I So I put in my birth chart. Actually, my mom made me a baby book when i had my baby a couple of years ago so i know my exact date of my time of birth now cuz i had my little announcement in it Perfect. um so i could do the i could do the chart and what's funny is i did the chart and i was like everything made sense i'm a triple leo in some ways like i think i had I, I look like i had a stellium in leo i don't remember which planets were in leo or really what that means <laughs> but i had listened to the episode of your show where you were talking about astrology and that's what sort of made me like do some googles like let me check on my what's my moon again i had forgotten and i got all and it's such a long long like the website that i went to was such a long report much of it i didn't understand but i really felt seen i definitely <laughs> did and then i got to the bottomless and it was like And my birth date, I had accidentally put the wrong date. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) I had put like two days after. So then I went back and redid it. And now I don't believe any of it. Like, it doesn't seem like me at all. Oh, no. Yeah. Like, my moon changed from Capricorn to Aquarius. And I'm just like, oh, throw it away. I don't know. I don't (laughs) know who I am. I'll look at it later. But I'm trying to – I mean, I'm a Leo. Um, if that wasn't abundantly obvious. And okay. I kind of dabble in astrology, but only when it makes me feel better. <laughs> like, Same. I'm only interested <laughs> if like it's something positive. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yep. So, you know, with the new moon in Leo and my not even barely understanding it, I'm like, oh, it's like good. It'll be good stuff for business and money and just keep going. And it's going to be a good month, yeah. you know? <laughs> I'm clearly not an expert, but it's, it's always fun to Dig a little deeper. I feel like definitely. It sounds like we have a very similar approach to
0: astrology because I'm super into it. If it says something good, and then if it doesn't, I'm like, oh, this yeah. doesn't know what it's talking about. I don't. I don't believe this. It doesn't. I don't give it any yeah, power. It's, made up. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's totally made up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I feel super Leo most of the time. My son's a Sagittarius, and we're both fire signs. And yeah. I was so excited that I had a little baby Sag because yeah. my husband's a Cancer. And oh, well, I mean, oh. you know. <laughs> Yeah. The thing is you can't read your astrology matching like uh compatibility charts like when you're a Leo and a cancer because it's bad. <laughs> it's just like doom, you will never work. It's not and it's challenging, but we're making it work. We've been together ten years. I do nothing the easy way. That's that's the moral <laughs> of the story. But that's I'm very happy that now I have a little fire sign buddy. My, Definitely. my baby. Yeah. <laughs> Bring some more, some more fire. And Sagittarius, I think is like the
0: fieriest of the fire. Yes.
1: Like exciting and like tr- loves travel and adventure. Mm-hmm. I, I love, I'm, I'm just like projecting all of this onto him. <laughs> He's two, gri- mind you. So <laughs> like he has a lot of time to develop his own personality, but I'm just like, yeah, we're going to take so many trips together. We're going to go on roller coasters. And I don't know, like I'll, I just imagine myself When he's old enough to travel, just like being that kind of mom who shows up wherever he is, you know, I was always jealous of kids whose parents could like show up when they were traveling anyway. (laughs) I
0: love it. I love it. I'm sure that he will have some some adventurousness uh, that he'll be he'll be excited to do those things with you. I hope so. Yeah. So, Mandy, welcome to Balance Black Girl. I'm so excited to have you here. You are the co-host of one of my personal favorite podcasts, Brown Ambition. So it's really exciting to get to have you on my show to talk about money. We're talking a lot about money in yeah. this series,
1: but let's talk about money some more. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. um, I'm I'm here for it, and thank you for having me, Les. I'm excited. Congrats on the success of your show and what a wonderful community that you've built. Oh, Thank you, thank you. I mean, I, you know
0: firsthand all that goes on behind the scenes to to make that happen. So I really appreciate that.
1: Yes, especially when you're working nine to five. Yeah, that was me with Brown and Vision until like last summer. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I would love to start off by talking about your career trajectory. I mean, you've had an amazing story. Mm-hmm. Big part of your story is you like 10Xing your net worth through negotiating and strategically quitting. I love a lot of your messaging (laughs) around strategically quitting jobs, kind of quitting our way to success. So, can you walk us through Mm -hmm. that? Can you walk us through
1: your career trajectory
0: and how you got to where you are now?
1: Yeah, a thousand percent. And again, I'm so happy to be here. I'm a really good quitter. And I believe in the power of quitting and walking away from things, which I think, I don't know where it comes from, but I never really had that belief that I needed to stay in a situation out of loyalty or out of respect or out of a need to pay my dues. We were just talking about our astrological signs and I'm just like, I'm a Leo. I like to be in charge and I like to lead and always from a place of like making things better and- Especially, you know, making things better for women of color. And through my career, to get the opportunities where I was in a position where I could have autonomy, where I could lead, and of course, where I could earn more, that required walking away. I just couldn't stay put. If I had stayed put. So, my background's in journalism. I studied print journalism and I graduated into the Great Recession and was quickly thrown out on my ass and laid off from a job. And, you know, that kind of sparked my initial passion for. Learning more about finances so that I could, so that I wasn't sort of naive about being laid off. I, I knew that was a possibility because, of course, it was the recession. But I did feel like I could have made some different choices in college that had prepared me for a time when I wasn't going to have an income. Saving my income, investing my income, and I felt really left out. So that sparked my curiosity about all things personal finance. And fortunately, I was able to merge my two passions journalism and finance when I was hired as a personal finance reporter for sites like Business Insider and Yahoo Finance. But had I stayed and sort of paid my dues as a reporter, it wasn't going to give me the ability to try different things, you know, try different skill sets, lead teams. I knew I had a great leadership capability because I had done some of that on a volunteer basis. Yeah, so I just I guess I'm just an impatient person. <laughs> so for impatient and ambitious and also I think because opportunities were coming to me that seemed really interesting and scary, I just went for them. And as I was going for them and taking risks, I saw my my income just, you know, skyrocket. And toward the end of a 10-year period, when I went back and tallied it up, I had quit six times in 10 years. Not to say that I had quit, not, I love that you said quit strategically. I was always strategic about it. And I believe everyone should be. I wasn't quitting into nothingness. Um, I wasn't quitting and taking sabbaticals. I was quitting for when a juicier, better paying, more exciting opportunity came along. And I don't think that enough of us are... Educated and coached in a way that like normalizes that and shows you how to make a strategic decision about a new career opportunity. And yeah, so that's kind of been my thing, S- silently my thing <laughs> for 10 years and cut to, and I, of course, I had Brown Ambition, which I launched seven years ago. So as I was building my career, I always had Brown Ambition and it was my creative outlet. So, as I was becoming a leader, I was moving further away from writing and creating content. I was leading the teams of people who were leading the people doing the writing and content creation, you know, which was great. I was making that bag, but (laughs) I had Brown ambition always to like satisfy that part of me that wanted to create. Anyway, so cut to about a year ago in the spring of 2021, I was in a situation where I had done my sixth quit and gotten a big raise and it was all very exciting. And I thought, you know, this is going to be the opportunity for me for the next couple of years. I knew I wanted to be, have my own thing and have my own business. I wasn't sure what it was going to be at a certain point. I was like, I'm going to do a, a restaurant and it's going to be tailored to new moms because I had just had a baby, you know, but anyway, so I was always entrepreneurial. I wasn't sure what it was going to be, but I thought I'll go to this new job. It sounds perfect. Spend a couple of years and I'll be ready. And then it turned out it wasn't a perfect opportunity, and I had to find a new path for myself. And I thought carefully about it. And going back to another nine to five situation, it just didn't feel right. I was I was ready, you know. I just felt ready, Mm -hmm. so I decided financially because of the you know the decisions I've made over the past ten years financially, I could afford to actually leave and not have something lined up, which was exciting and. I felt like, what the hell have I been investing and saving for if not for a moment like this? Yes. You know, so I can walk away and take my next steps without having to keep anyone else's expectations in mind and to just try something new. So what did I do? Last summer, I launched Mandy Money. And I've always been Mandy Money on social, but I gave, I came up with a business around Mandy Money and it's all around career and leadership development. I wasn't sure if I would be any good at it. Obviously, I've done it through Brown Ambition. But what I did is I started to offer free coaching sessions. So I just like posted it on IG and 200 women signed up and it was incredible. I was doing free half hour coaching sessions until like January. <laughs> Amazing. Took me forever wow. to get through those, but I was committed. Yeah. And through those conversations, the feedback was ex- extraordinary, and it also coming up through corporate America, which you can probably relate to. Like, I don't get to talk to black women every day. No. It's not a lot of us, or at least mm-hmm. it wasn't a lot of us where I was anyway. Mm-hmm. And so it felt like it was really healing for me just to talk to women of color every day about their professional journeys, and then to realize I can do this. You yeah. know, I, I love it, and. The, and I'm helping women and and being supportive and, and helping them find their new path. And anyway, so I've been doing that for the past year. And now I have a group coaching community called Mandy Moneymakers, which launched in January based on all of that I had learned about the women I spoke to those six months um, last year through those free coaching sessions. And Mandy Moneymakers is a it's an online community. It's live coaching, group coaching sessions for six weeks with women of color, four women of color. And it has been just wonderful, just incredible. Yeah. It was a very long story. Ugh, but that is where I'm at a
0: now. Great story. And there's there's definitely more there that I wanna I wanna come back to. I loved what you said at the beginning when you were talking about not feeling pressured to necessarily have loyalty to any one company or any one job. And Sounds like that mm-hmm. quality really served you in being able to spot new opportunities and knowing when it's time to leave to move on to something that is either a better opportunity or can compensate you better or you know is the, the next thing to do. And as you were describing mm-hmm. that, I was thinking about how I know I was taught the opposite. <laughs> and I think a lot of us, particularly black and brown women, are kind of taught the opposite where it's like you get in somewhere feel lucky to be there. You hold on to it. Like my first job, I was working in aerospace finance and I was there for like five years because I felt a lot of pressure of, oh, I have something good. I was also, it was like the great recession. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> like don't move because mm, there's not yeah. going to be anywhere to go. Do you find that in coaching your clients and helping your community that you do have to help us kind of work through some of that resistance?
1: I think, yes, absolutely. As women of color, I think so often we're, we are told, be grateful. And I mean, rightfully so. There's plenty of statistics that show it's a crapshoot for us in a lot of ways. We're still earning, on average, like 60 cents to the dollar of white men. You know, we're undervalued in corporate workspaces. We're less likely to show up. I mean, you look at any organization, and I guarantee you at the top 5% of the, you know leadership. Of the company, you're not going to see very many women of color, people of color at all. We have all these facts that tell us it's tough for us out there. And my whole thing has always been okay, but I'm going to create a different story for myself. Like Mm -hmm. those things can be true, but not true for me. And what I try to do is help women feel more empowered and more in charge so that they feel like they can take those risks. Because, I mean, honestly, if you look at the situation for us, I completely understand why women are like, no, I'm just – I'm good. Like, I got my 401k. I got – I'm paying my bills. I want to be grateful. There's not really room for me to take risks. The stakes are really high. All of that. I completely understand. But what I do through my work is really try to help women see there is a way to strategically do it that doesn't feel reckless, you know, and I'm all about creating a strong professional brand so that you can attract new opportunities to you so that you have options. I think when you close yourself off to ever leaving your employer, when you close it off and you're not engaging with your network, you're not posting on LinkedIn, you're not telling anyone what you're up to, you're not building a brand for yourself, then you're not going to get Opportunities. You're not going to see as many options. As soon as you start to, you know, like I say, passively job search through actually engaging with your network and staying active and letting people know what you do, then opportunities come to you and you see that there's other options and you slowly but surely start to feel more confident about entertaining them. And then you have something real to compare, you know, your current job to. And I think that there's definitely too many women out there who are. Sort of telling themselves a story about, oh, well, if I find something else, it's not going to be as secure as this, or I'll have to take a pay cut if I pivot. But they haven't actually gotten a hard job offer to compare it to. So I'm like, forget all about what ifs and all of that. Let's at least put out the energy and do some things to attract more opportunities. And then we'll have some actual facts to work with here. And then maybe when you see that, oh, I can make a lot more if I leave my company. Or, oh, maybe I, there's other places that can also feel stable, you know, and feel, even though I hate the word stability it's not really a thing, mm-hmm. but other places can feel pretty secure, you know? So that's, what's fun for me is helping women just like at least get some options. You Definitely. know what I mean? Yeah. That's super helpful to
0: look at, okay, what are the facts? Because I think we can imply a lot of things yes. or we can oh, so be much. in our feelings, yeah. but feelings aren't always yeah. facts. <laughs> so getting that oh, they real data <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> they, at least for me I'm like I've been doing my therapy I know you have too. like yeah it's the story that we tell ourselves and I mean so many women come to me and they're like I know this this isn't that I very um gently ask yeah, okay where did you read that who told you that and they're like well I guess just like me, (laughs) I guess just like I thought it, or maybe it was a friend or maybe it was one article. And I'm like, so when you actually did an interview and you you interviewed, did they tell you that? And they're like, well, I haven't interviewed. And I'm like, okay. So what we have are ideas, but not facts for sure. I'm all about that fact finding. I guess it's my journalism background. Definitely (laughs) coming
0: through. This episode is sponsored by my favorite wellness app, Open. Open is a digital mindfulness platform combining breath work, meditation, and movement, and it is my go-to app to help me get centered when I need to reconnect with my breath. One of my favorite meditations on Open that I go back to time and time again is called Embody Self Love, led by one of their instructors, Allie, who is an incredible guide. The meditation focuses on finding compassion for yourself and uses loving kindness to deepen feelings of self-love. It's my favorite meditation when I'm feeling hard on myself or I'm tempted to give into comparison. In addition to that class, there are countless other meditations for any emotion you may be feeling, as well as movement classes such as yoga and Pilates and breath work, which is an incredible healing modality. On any given day, I'm taking several classes within open because it's that good. I love starting my morning with one of their meditations and yoga flows and then tapping back in to do breath work in the afternoon when I need a little energy and to refocus. Plus on the podcast right now, we're talking all about money and I actually love doing a guided meditation before I sit down and go through my finances and check in with my money because it just puts me in a way better, more calm, more abundant headspace. So I recommend trying that out. I also appreciate how community oriented open is each month. They host challenges encouraging their community to take classes together. And you can invite friends and family to move, breathe, and meditate with you from within the app. I would love to have you join me on open open is giving balanced black girl listeners 30 days free. When you visit open together.com balanced. That's 30 days of unlimited meditation, breathwork, yoga, and Pilates classes. You don't want to miss out on this. Again, you can join me on Open by going to open-together.com slash balanced. One so of the other things that you mentioned when you were talking about your career trajectory and when you decided to go full time into entrepreneurship was that realization of actually, I've built a safety net for myself. I've saved, I've mm-hmm. invested. I can, you know, I can catch myself if I take the leap. Can you walk us through that process of one preparation and how you kind of saved and invested and got to that point where you were comfortable? And then two, kind of the mindset part where it's like, oh, actually, I have this resource and this is what it's for. It's okay to tap into it if I need it. I'm asking asking for a friend um, because this is something I (laughs) struggle
1: with. (laughs) Um, Mm. But I I would love to hear how you navigated that. I give so many props to 24-year-old Mandy. Um, She was such a gem. Like, thank you, girl. Thank you for getting your little 401k and putting your little 10% in it. It was only like $3,000 that first year. But that foundation, starting to invest before I really understood everything about it. And 24, you know, in my mind, I could have been doing that, like I said, through college. Mm -hmm. like. Even when I was earning an income in high school and I felt this sense of urgency that like I got to catch up and people know about this stuff, but I didn't. So for me, investing at an early age was the best investment I could have made. It's not about waiting until you're perfect and you know everything. It's just about, okay, deciding to start trying and to start doing something. And because of that habit of investing and saving a portion of my salary that I started when I was not earning that much, no matter how much more I was earning, as I said, I 10X my salary over the next 10 years. That doesn't necessarily mean that I that I was going to 10X my net worth or 10X my my assets and my savings and my investments. I did that because I thoughtfully and intentionally carved out that amount of my salary, that 10%, that whatever it was, some, some years, it was 8%. Some it was 15%. You know, I would kind of fiddle with the percentages, but I was always saving and setting aside. And it was because of those choices that I made back then that I ended up in a place, you know, at 34, with a two year old with a mortgage with a husband, you know, with responsibilities, that I then had, yes, that financial cushion, cash in the bank, And say, and then investments, you know, in my brokerage account that even if the cash in the bank was running low, I could at least know, okay, well, that money is working. Mm -hmm. Like it's in the slow cooker, it's cooking and marinating and all of that. But in terms of like, actually tapping into it, I completely understand it sucks. Like you become really attached to those dollars in your bank account. It looks nice. Yes. And as someone who was raised by a single mom and had tons of financial insecurity growing up, having that cushion was helped me sleep at night mm-hmm. and tapping into it and dipping into it substantially like I did because my life is not cheap. <laughs> it ain't cheap. My mortgage is not cheap. My daycare, I live in New York, okay? Mm-hmm. I did not pick a cheap place to live. <laughs> and I sat down with my financial planner. I'm all about the facts, right? So when my financial planner and I sat down Last spring, when I was kind of deciding on what I was going to do next, she was like, here's the minimum amount you need to earn a month is $10,000. And you can do this. It was my financial planner who basically said, like, I don't know why you're not just like starting your own thing. (laughs) And I was like, Helen, okay, but (laughs) yeah, can I? But having that objective you know voice from my financial planner mm-hmm. kind of looking at the numbers and it was her also who highlighted for me that I had 10x my net worth since you know in the past 5 years alone so having that objective eyes on my situation to make me feel more confident you know i really value that so if you're someone who's you're not sure like how much can this mo- how long can this money last me what can i afford if i'm going to start a business on my own what's my minimum monthly goal you know i would suggest like talking to someone mm-hmm. my financial planner is a fee only planner which means when i have a meeting with her i pay a couple hundred dollars and that's it you know i i meet with her when i need to and when i'm not meeting with her i'm not paying for anything and yeah she helped me get the confidence and then for me having that cushion it gave me the ability to do the free coaching for as long as I did, probably way longer than I should have. But, you know. <laughs> I mean, 200, 200 people is amazing. I know. Thankfully, not all 200 actually followed through, but it was like 120 something. You know, That summer, I got to work. You know, I got to work doing the focus groups with that free coaching and trying to meet that $10,000 a month goal. That's that's sort of how I approach that decision. Mm-hmm. I'm sensing
0: a theme. Facts, looking at the facts, looking at the numbers. Yeah.
1: That's <laughs> the somewhere data. in my astrological chart.
0: <laughs> you definitely must have some Capricorn risks, okay? in there. Yeah, I'm like I'm hearing. There's got to be like some Capricorn or some Virgo in there for sure. Here for somewhere.
1: it. <laughs> some Beyonce vibes.
0: Exactly. Exactly. We're seeing a
1: lot of
0: like headlines, information in the media about this recession. It's happening. It's maybe it's coming. It's looming. Mm. We're seeing a lot of headlines about companies who are, you know, laying off or uh, I know you actually did a TikTok recently about like rescinded offers where I was like, that's a yeah. thing. <laughs> I didn't even, yeah. Like, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my. So yep. what is important for people who are Either looking for work or experiencing career transitions in this climate to know as they navigate that. Because it can feel like a really scary time to look for something new or to make a career change.
1: Yes, I think that for a lot of people, the great reshuffling or great resignation, whatever you want to call it, that was happening during the pandemic, it helped them overcome that little bit of fear that was holding them back from being more risky or, or looking for new opportunities. And because it broke down that fear, people were making a lot of moves. And you saw very normalized conversations around quitting and getting new opportunities and all of that, which I was really excited about because I'm like, yeah, join me here. It's nice. <laughs> At the same time, now we're seeing, okay, how can you make strategic career decisions when the times are not so flush, yeah. You know, when things are a little bit dicey? I, like I said, I have been quitting throughout my career. I have survived a couple of recessions at this point. The first fact I think people need to realize is that this is a part of a normal economy, a capitalist economy. There is going to be lulls. There's going to be more. There will be more downturns in the future. And we're not even in a proper recession right now. Technically, Mm -hmm. as of this date, we're recording in early August. It's not a full-fledged recession. There's still a lot of job openings out there. There's definitely downsizing, layoffs, hiring freezes, you know, these early symptoms of potential of recession down the line, and it's impacting people. Yes, people are losing, some people are losing their jobs. One of my Mandy Moneymakers just you know, got in touch yesterday that she was laid off 90 days after joining a firm. So it it's real life. But the fact is, this will happen again. So how are you going to best prepare yourself? And that's where I come to the topic of professional resiliency. Mm. One of the things that I... I'm so glad that I focused on building early in my career was professional resiliency. I'm not talking about finding a stable job. I'm talking about creating your own inner job stability so that no matter what is happening in the world, you know you got you. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, how do you create professional resiliency? Always staying invested in your skills and growing your skills and education. I studied print journalism. Okay, Les, I like... (laughs) I literally studied magazines like that was a job for me Mm -hmm. and graduated into an economy that was like, oh, we don't care about paper anymore. (laughs) So I had to adapt, you know, I had to learn new skills. Search engine optimization. How to write for an online audience. How to do social media. How to do video. I never like the fact that I'm even in front of a microphone is hilarious to ten year old me because <laughs> I was like deathly shy and anxious. And even college me, but I had to push myself to gain new skills. That's number one. Number two is actually staying, keeping your professional and personal relationships with colleagues warm. Yeah, and I don't mean. I am an introvert. I'm not the one who's like, I'm the one who shows up late to the happy hour because the thought of sitting alone at the bar just like gives me all sorts of, I'm working on it. Take yourself on solo dates. It's great. But anyway, (laughs) that wasn't really my scene, but still I would do it in my own way. I would write thank you notes. I would write emails to people individually. I would check in on LinkedIn. I would talk about the work that I was doing, share it on LinkedIn, share it with my network. I would go to professional development groups and make connections. So that helped people start to associate me in my industry and my niche. And as at the time, business reporting and business content and personal finance content. So how are you telling people in your network, past colleagues, current colleagues, what you're up to and building that professional brand? And those two things alone will help for example, if there is a downturn and if you're telling people, hey, I've been laid off or you know things are a little dicey, you're more likely to get referrals or get people wanting to help you or you're more likely to get like emails saying, hey, I saw this job and I thought of you or, hey, mm-hmm. I heard someone's hiring and I thought of you. That's the secret sauce right yeah. there to professional resilience. And I know I said I quit six times in 10 years, but I only applied to one of those new jobs that I got once. wow! It was always from, the majority of time, it was from interest coming to me, usually via LinkedIn or via email, from someone who heard about me from somewhere or saw my work from somewhere. So that is really, really crucial. I know that things are dicey right now, but it's not going to be the only time they're going to be dicey. So what can you control? And these are things that I'm talking about right now that you actually can control so that you yourself become your own stability and we're not expecting an employer who's never going to be looking out for anyone else but their own bottom line, right? Or their shareholders maybe. Yep. To be that stability for us, mm-hmm. you know, it's a toxic relationship in that case. You can't like we have to own our own power. Mhm. Yes, yes, professional
0: resiliency. That is mm-hmm. really really good. That really struck a chord with me of those kind of Recession proof things, which connections being the top of that and being ready to pivot Mm -hmm. and take on new skills is really, really important. And something that I know in my career, I've felt a lot of resistance around. And I've had to kind of challenge myself to push through that of thinking, well, I can't do that or I don't know how to do that. But it's like, Mm. we can always learn. I didn't know how to podcast
1: for the first
0: (laughs) several decades of my life. And we learned how to do that. So we can learn how to do these other things too.
1: Yeah, and having this creative space where you can build your own audience. This is professional resilience for you. I feel resilient with Brown Ambition. Mm-hmm. You know, having Brown Ambition. Now, it took us a while to make some money. Yes. And <laughs> like, to actually take money from the show that yep. we had earned. But it's a form of income. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if if anything else were to happen, Brown Ambition is one of those levers that I could lean on, you know, in a time where maybe I d- I lost a source of income somewhere else and as an entrepreneur now, I a thousand percent think about that all the time. You know, how am I diversifying the streams of income that Mandy Money Inc. is leaning on so that I'm not overly reliant upon anyone? And if something were to scale back, that I wouldn't be like struggling, you know, and freaking out. And I'm still a newbie, I'm still a baby entrepreneur, you know, doing this only for the past year and a bit of change. But that has given me a lot of peace. So that I can sleep at night, because I am my own. I am my own employer now. (laughs) I do miss those bonuses, though. Those were nice.
0: Yes, (laughs) (laughs) definitely. I know that's something I'm having a hard time letting go of, for sure.
1: (laughs) Oh, are you in? You're in tech, though. They got the golden handcuffs. You got the good, good. (laughs) I know. I do. I
0: got that. Got the RSUs. Got the. You know. There's definitely incentives.
1: (laughs) Uh, I love it. There are incentives, but I'll tell you when I, there's something there that it did happen. Like you hear that from business owners and entrepreneurs, like when you're owning your own business, you realize the sky is the limit. Mm-hmm. And when you're fully employed, you know, you get the higher and higher and higher salaries and that's great, but that's really like, and maybe you can push the limit with rewards like stock grants and bonuses and things like that. But You know the salary is the salary, and it kind of limits you in a in a way. Yeah, I'm all for it though. I did really well in nine to five life, but I will say as an entrepreneur, as I think we focus a lot on how scary it is to have to create your own income every month. And what I'm trying to do is shift my mindset to the possibilities. Definitely, you know that I could be making many multiples of what I was making before. Um, It's not happening yet, but maybe it will (laughs) in the future.
0: Yeah, it, it shows you what's possible, which truly could be anything, even if it comes in different forms or in different timing, or if it's not, you know, every two weeks, two week intervals like we're used to, it's still absolutely possible. Yes, absolutely. And talking a little bit about skills, I would love to kind of walk through maybe some of the ways that people can uncover skills that they have that can be uh, marketable or really great if they're either looking for a new role or looking to increase their income. Something that I've experienced through side hustling and through creating content is that I've found that it's actually really helped me in my career. I had a very similar trajectory to you where I went to school, wanted to be a journalist, also great recession. And I was like, oh yeah, that's not going to happen. So let me take this finance job because this is what's there. And then eventually moved into content marketing. But the only reason why I was able to get marketing jobs was because of the experience I got creating content on my own. That's what kind of qualified me to make that career pivot. So for people who are either trying to identify skills or learn new skills, how do you recommend they kind of navigate that space?
1: You really do have so much parallel. I mm-hmm. would not have gotten that job as a personal finance reporter had I not had a blog that mm-hmm. I started. It was about biking <laughs> in New York <laughs> City, uh, the bike riders. So, <laughs> um, so creative. But that was my way of proving that I could write for the internet. Yeah, you know, and I had a blog, and that's that was my samples because the job that I had. You know, before that, I wasn't able to write because I took whatever would have me and it wasn't a writing job after I was laid off. Anyway, yeah, excellent question. So there are a lot of free resources online. So if you, I mean, I'm a huge fan of like YouTube University. If you want to just get a baseline understanding of some skills, I work with clients who perhaps they, you know, they're a data analyst and there's a new kind of software that they're seeing that's becoming more popular or, or they're interviewing and they're hearing from recruiters like, Oh, are you well-versed in this particular software? That's a really easy line to, to draw between point A and point B. Okay. I got to learn about this software if I want to be competitive. Mm -hmm. And then it's about, so how do I get that? Can you take any free courses online? LinkedIn learning can be a great source. I have a partner. I don't get paid for saying this, but general assembly that offers a lot of their uh, online learning academy, online learning platform for people looking to gain skills in tech. And they offer a lot of free workshops. You can create your own opportunities for growth, like create, for example, if you want to, you know, get some writing experience, you can start with blogging, write on Medium or start your own blog. You can start a podcast with very few resources. And I taught myself, I'm sure like you did, from YouTubing Mm -hmm. and figuring it out as I went along, kind of making mistakes and talking to people who had been doing it and kind of getting their insights. I think it's important too to use the resources that you have. So if you're currently employed, your employer should be investing in your skills. It's going to make you better and it's going to help retain talent. So I hope that there's opportunities at your company to get reimbursed. Like if you want to take a course, you don't have to go back to school and get a whole degree in a lot of cases. Maybe they can pay for a certificate or they can, I remember one of the investments that my company made in me was, you know, a a couple thousand dollars so I could go to a leadership training and development. I almost said academy. It was just a a program for a week, a week long leadership development um, course that I took because they didn't have a lot of infrastructure for a young leader at the company I was at. And I wanted more, I wanted more um, to grow in that area. So I found the program. I pitched it to them. I made my case and they were like, cool, we'll fund that. So take advantage of those resources. It's really about like staying in tune with your specific industry, your niche. What are you seeing the commonalities of people getting new opportunities and getting paid a lot more? And then how can you use the resources that you have to then gain those skills? What's trickier is people, and I've seen this too, like social media, I loves it. Like we need it, right? It's great. It's how we reach our audience. It's how we do a lot of free content, right? Yeah. You're not paying for this podcast. We don't charge for brown ambition. So I love social media and all that. But I think it can at this time you go on TikTok and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I saw this TikTok about becoming an engineer. And oh, I saw this TikTok about having a blog. I saw this tick TikTok about being an influencer and like moving in all these different directions. And oh, I could be a social media manager and you know, and there's all these different options, and I think people are like a little overwhelmed. And then they start forgetting that it's really about what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. What are your talents? And how can that translate into the right thing to do? And, you know, you don't want to be in a situation where you're just following the bright, shiny object in a, in a way to build wealth, but you're actually starting with what do I actually want to do? And what am I actually good at? At the core of me has always been storytelling And service, storytelling, and service, and helping people. And listen, I am not made for engineering, tech, analysis, (laughs) any of that stuff, spreadsheets. I don't love them, except for packing lists. I do love them for that. (laughs) But, you know, like I know my strengths and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of power in just saying, okay, this is what I don't like, and here's what I do like. And I'm just going to like focus on my own journey, my own path and seeing how I can build upon that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Learning how to trust yourself, which is definitely Mm -hmm. challenging with the amount of of content and information that we have available to take in because it's so overwhelming. (laughs) TikTok makes me want to switch careers
1: every other video. (laughs) I know, but that's what it's about. It's about self-trust. One of the best ways I develop trust in myself was one, having parents who really did not, they were not involved in my schooling. I mean, they were, but they were never like, they weren't breathing down my neck. Mm -hmm. What are you studying? What are you doing? Let me make decisions for you. I talk about, oh, you know, I wasn't really raised with financial knowledge and I wish my parents had given me some. Sometimes I think back and I'm like, because they hadn't, I figured it out on my own. Mm -hmm. And that for me, I saw my own work resulting in you know, greater financial gains, and it gave me more confidence in myself. Yeah, and and flinging myself into new situations, like after school, deciding to turn down a nine to five job offer that I had and travel instead, and put myself in new places and learn that I could survive. And building that self trust is so crucial. And you're absolutely right. That's really at the core of it. That you believe that you know what you're good at, and and you know that when you put effort and time into something that you want to do, that you'll be able to succeed at it. And that helps you engage with social media in a mm-hmm. way that's not like you can enjoy it. It's stories. People mm-hmm. are telling you what happened to them and you're not so, you know, insecure about your abilities and where you're heading that you're like, Oh, should I be doing that? Or like, Oh, that sounds good. I'll, I'll go there. That's where it gets like really exhausting and overwhelming. Oh, Absolutely. Lately, I've been
0: thinking about as I approach like my own consumption of content, I tell myself like, be harder to influence. <laughs> I want to be harder to influence. Yes. And I want other people <laughs> to be harder to influence as well. Like we're firmly rooted in, in who we are that it's it's more difficult to influence us. Just something yeah. I like to think about. Doesn't help my work as an
1: influencer, but. <laughs> I know. But the thing is like, there's a difference. I would say like it's important to. I think with ideas and new ideas and different beliefs, mm-hmm. we should all be open to hearing those, right? I would say some people are like need to be influenced, sometimes. <laughs> like need to be <laughs> sort of like less stubborn about their belief systems and things like that. But yeah. I know I I a hundred percent. I see what you're saying. And it's about being able to see other people's journeys. And it's that story you tell yourself, like, oh, that's their journey. I'm happy for them, you know? Mm-hmm. And just moving on. And it's a yeah. it's a work. In progress. They need like some sort of, before you get on social media, they should do some sort of like mindset coaching. <laughs> Everyone should get it around the age of 11 or whatever. <laughs> like, Here's how you can do this in a healthy way. It's a constant struggle for sure. Absolutely. Preparing us to use the internet.
0: <laughs> so I would love to talk a little bit about negotiation and salary negotiation, whether we are taking a new role and we're negotiating a salary, or maybe if we are in a role that we're happy in and we want to stay in, but we want to ask our manager for more money, what that can look like as well. I am I know that I find salary negotiation really scary. Don't want to <laughs> speak for anybody else, uh, but how can we make that
1: less scary? Do it again and again and again, and it gets less scary. It doesn't ever. The thing is, it's never not going to be scary. Less like for me, I've, I've negotiated a lot of salaries. I help people negotiate in my work as a coach. It's always stressful. Mm-hmm. It just is. Yeah, you know. And I guess it's like that little rush that I like. But I think for like liberating yourself from the idea that it's ever not supposed to be uncomfortable and that it's normal to have that, it's just about recognizing that this is going to be uncomfortable, but I'm going to do the thing anyway, because the goal, the outcome is worth it. Right. And with anything, if you, so I'm, I'm a big fan of negotiating when the stakes are low. Mm -hmm. And when by, by low, I mean negotiating in your early career, asking for more, even at your first entry level job after college or during college, just ask for more and test Mm -hmm. the waters. And if you even want more baby steps than that, Like some people get really stressed about just sending an order back to the kitchen at a restaurant that is wrong. Shout out to my dad who would send back his French fries at Wendy's if they were not the proper temperature. Like (laughs) I grew up in in an environment where like, oh, it's not what I paid for, then I'm returning it, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that just those small actions of asking for something and getting what you want help build that confidence. So when the stakes are much higher, So let's say you're going into my favorite situation, which is a brand new job opportunity. So you're currently employed, you're negotiating a new offer. This is the time when you're probably not going to ever have as much leverage because that company knows you're employed. They know you're taken. They have to woo you. They have to seduce you and get you. to come over to their side, right? So they're going to be more willing to entertain higher compensation, like higher salary, you know, sign on bonuses, equity grants, things are going to tempt you paying for professional development. For example, if you tell them my employer right now is covering my tuition, or they're paying for an executive, a coach for me, executive coach for me, you know, using that and bringing that to the table, it's harder not impossible, but it's harder to negotiate for more pay when you're currently working for a company and you don't have any outside offers. Mm-hmm. Because then it's really about you have to like of course you have to be a stellar employee, but at the same time they have to be really benevolent and just want to give you more money mm-hmm. because they really value you, which is fine. But if you're not giving companies, a, you know, a real incentive or you don't have a lot of leverage in the form of another job offer, things can go a lot slower. It may take, you may have to wait until that annual review, you know, six months down the line. So that's why I'm a huge fan of uh, ABL, always be looking and taking job interviews, even if you're not 100% interested in jumping, because that's going to give you leverage in those moments. Plus, when you get those other opportunities, and this is core to negotiating, when you're interviewing and you're getting through those early stages and finding out what the budget is for the role you're investing, like you're understanding your own value in the current market. So think of yourself like a home, you know, on your block, and how the demand for housing right now is driving housing prices up, right? Mm -hmm. Similar to it may be similar in your industry or your specific skill set in your niche. And if you've been somewhere for a few years now, and there's increased demand for people with your skill set, Chances are they're paying a lot more for people in your position now than what you were paid you know when you were hired, so yeah. interviewing can help you stay aware of your own value mm-hmm. and going into a negotiation, understanding your value on a salary basis will give you all the more confidence to ask for what you know you're asking for in the first place, which is one of the first questions I get is like how do I know what to ask for mm-hmm. and I can, I'm happy to talk about that if you want. Um, yeah, that'd be great. Understanding what to ask for. Yeah, so my favorite sources are humans. So if you know people in your network who have a line of sight into hiring and they have been in you know at the table negotiating salaries from like a hiring manager, maybe in your network or someone who's privy to that kind of information. Asking them like, "Hey, what are you seeing people with my skill set coming in at? What do you think I can expect?" And not just on a salary basis, but what types of other incentives are you seeing being offered? Signing bonus is the thing for this role, mm-hmm. you know. Are is flexible work a thing? Those types of things. So ask other people. I love love telling people to reach out to former colleagues who have since, who have left recently, like in the last year, they've left a company and gone somewhere else. People love to brag when they get a new job with higher pay. They kind of like (laughs) it. They like to tell their former colleague, "Mm, yeah, you're still there. Well, you know, I'm making 20K more, (laughs) just a little more likely, I think, to share that. Mm -hmm. So I would ask colleagues who've left recently to see what it is that they're earning, especially if like they're doing similar work to you. Um, those are my two favorite and job interviewings. Uh, job interviews are exceptional because, yeah, you can easily ask a recruiter, hey, what's your budget for this role? Let's not beat yeah. around the bush mm-hmm. and get an idea of your of your value there. And then, of course, like you have your glass doors and your salaries.com and like that's fine, but nothing beats like that human that human element and like actually getting from a trusted source some intel about your current worth. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I know I've definitely had like screenings with recruiters where they ask me what my salary expectations are. And then I want to be like, well, what's your
1: budget? Because I'm not.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How, what are you working you with? That. I, yeah. G- is it okay to, to ask that when they ask that question?
1: Yeah, a thousand percent. I would always recommend to deflect that type mm-hmm. of question. It's really annoying. You know, well, you're in California now, and I am th- in New York. And aren't these both salary transparency states where now companies so. have to put the salary on the mm-hmm. job description which is helpful it sucks because the people with the least amount of power you know are being asked to give them a number yeah. you yeah. know and it's just annoying because when recruiters do that they're like well I know what our budget is but I don't want to tell you you tell me what and I'll tell you if it's in line with our budget mm-hmm. and it's just this cat and mouse dance that benefits the employer and not the job seeker so Yes, you can say, you know, actually, I would like to learn more about the role before discussing salary. But if you have a budget, I'd love to know. And you can just say, I'm not comfortable disclosing, I'm not comfortable giving a range. You know, because this is a new this is a um, a new uh, role, or the role that I'm in now is is not quite as similar to this role. It's you know, this role has more responsibilities, more duties, etc. I'd love to know your budget. You can also a lot of people say, well, it's often a question on like an online application. Well, they'll, they'll ask you to like just input your salary expectations, and you can't go to the next screen until you've put something in. You can put the number zero. Mm-hmm. Zero is a number you can put N-A, whatever Mm -hmm. it is, you can put $1 just to um, have something there. But in a negotiation, if you've ever sort of like been to an outdoor market and you've sat there, one of my favorite tactics to use to get a price decrease is just silence. (laughs) just kind of like, and lingering longer Mm -hmm. than like to annoy them (laughs) because they're just like, get out of my way. (laughs) Yeah. And so sometimes silence can be your friend in yeah. a negotiation tell me your budget and then just like let the awkward air fill up mm-hmm. it's a human being on the other end and sometimes they're just going to fill that silence with in- with information you know <laughs> so don't be afraid to just say i'd love to know your budget yeah and maybe be the first person to ask especially if it's a phone screen why not mm-hmm. Such good advice. Love the deflection.
0: Because <laughs> I always worry, yeah. like, okay, if I say a number, am I going to lowball myself, you know, or am I going to mm-hmm. be held to that if they're able to offer more? So, yeah, that's that's really good advice. Mandy, we've yeah. covered so much. This has been so helpful, like a career development masterclass. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. So, how can our listeners find you? How can they work with you, be part of the Mandy
1: Money community? How can they stay in touch? Yeah. Absolutely. So, my fourth cohort of 2022 applications are open if you want to become a Mandy Money maker, be part of my group coaching community. Um you can go to mandymoney.com, though Mandy with an i shout out to my mom for making things complicated for me. Uh, Mandy with <laughs> mandymoney.com I'm also Mandy money on all social media. Um, I do a lot of free educational content. I host free webinars you know every once in a while so follow me on IG to always stay in tuned. And I have what I love as a writer I started a weekly newsletter so I write just a career insight once a week. so if you go to mandymoney.com you want to sign up for my newsletter. I send out career advice and little tidbits every Sunday evening. So as you're heading into your work week, you get a little source of inspiration, but I'd love to hear from you guys. And thank you so much, Les, for sharing your platform with me. It's been a pleasure to get to know you more and uh, congrats on all the success too.
0: Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for being here. I truly learned so much from this conversation and I know our community will as well. So thank you for all that you do, Mandy.
1: No problem.
0: I'm telling you, talking to Mandy just makes me want to go out and make money moves. It makes me want to go to work on Monday and pound the table and ask for more money. I, I probably won't won't do that, but it makes me want to. <laughs> and I hope this episode did that for you as well. Head to the show notes to follow Mandy, subscribe to the Brown Ambition podcast, and join her Mandy Moneymakers community. Huge thanks to our amazing sponsors who hook us up with generous discount codes and offers so that we can keep more of our coin while we enjoy our favorite products. So make sure you check the show notes to see our latest offers next week we're wrapping up the money and abundance series with an important conversation about healing from money trauma and navigating the black tax probably the most important subject matter of this series and that we've covered on the podcast today so you're going to want to tune into that one as soon as it drops so i will see you back here next week thank you so much for listening